Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And good evening. And we join again in the week leading up to Yom Kippur. We are in the Aseret Yimei Teshuvah. And learning Torah is always good, but perhaps particularly good at this time. And we are continuing our study of Chumash Bereshit with Rashi. And we're up to Perak Kaftet Pasuk Yud Dalet. And the story so far is Yaakov has arrived in Lavan's house. And he's met Rachel and he's watered some sheep. And Lavan comes to meet him and Lavan rushes to him and kisses him and embraces him. And Rashi explained Lavan's motivation and all that is to find the money which he assumes Yaakov is bringing. After all, Eliezer, who by the way came 97 years previously, if you do the maths, when Eliezer came to Lavan's house, then Eliezer was carrying lots of wealth, so Lavan assumed that uh, Yaakov was as well. Rashi is very clear about Lavan's character. He's very, very avaricious. He does everything for money. And that is a constant theme in Rashi's description and explanation and backstory of what Lavan is doing. And this theme of Yaakov regrettably having no money, because Eliphaz, the son of Esau, took it all from him, as Rashi explained earlier. Um, this is also repeated, also referred to in this Pasuk we're doing now in Pasuk Yudalad. So what we read is as follows. lo Lavan. Lavan said to him, to Yaakov, Ach atzmi uvasari ata. So Ach is only, or best translated perhaps as but, my bone, my flesh, ata, you are. And he stayed with him for a month of days. So Rashi's got something to say, which is good, because without Rashi, the Pasuk really doesn't make a lot of sense. Lavan says to Yaakov, but you are my flesh and blood, basically. Uh, and then it says you stay with him for a, a, a month. Um, what's going on? It's probably worth mentioning in the, the Rashi's linking it to the next Pasuk. And the next Pasuk, I'll just mention now, Pasuk Tet, something about you are my brother, and you're serving me for free. Tell me what is your wages. So bear that in mind, that's the next thing that's going to happen as we explain Rashi on Yud Dalad. So Rashi says on the words, Ach atzmi ubasari, me'ata ein li la'aspacha habaita. Now, um, I don't have to take you into the house. Ha'il vi'ein biyadacha klum. Since there's nothing in your hand. In other words, you've got no money. Elam ipnei kurva, but because of the relationship, i.e. you're a relative, Atapel bacha chodesh yomim. I will metapel it. I will look after you for a month of days. and so he did. But even this was not for free. Shahaya ro'et sono, because he, i.e. Yaakov, was shepherding his, i.e. Lavan's flock. What is Rashi doing here? He's doing a lot of things. First of all, he's explaining the structure of this pasuk. And he's also explaining how it links to the next one. So it says, What has the last four words got to do with the previous part of the verse? Why does the conversation 
which is a grand total of four words, Ach atzmi ubasuri ata, lead to He stayed with him for a month of days. And why, by the time we get to the next Pasuk, do we find out that Yaakov has already been working for Lavan? So Rashi answers all that by saying, Yaakov, sorry, Lavan is saying, I don't have to look after you. Why not? Because you've got no money. Theme that Lavan is always after the money. But I will look after you and you can stay for a month. So that's how Rashi has linked the first part of Lavan's words with the next part of Lavan's words. I don't have to look after you, but I will, and that's why you can stay for a month. The next thing that he's done, and I remember reading this in a teacher's guide written by Nechama Leibovitz, which I'm quite, uh, so I feel quite attached to. Um, she explains that Rashi is particularly explaining the word ach. So if we translate, I said ach can be translated in different ways, but if we translate ach as but, then the question becomes obvious. How can you start a sentence with but? How can you start a conversation with but? But must qualify something else that has been said. And so when the Torah says the conversation starts with the word but, it means there's a previous line which hasn't been written, which Rashi needs to fill out for us. So but, you are my flesh and blood, follows on from I don't have to look after you at all but you are my flesh and blood. So since it starts with but, there must be something before Rashi fills that in. Compare and, uh, well not contrast, but compare and notice Bereshit Perak Kaf Gimel Pasuk Gimel when Avraham is speaking to Ephron, or to the Bnei Chet, no sorry, to Ephron. And we read there, Avraham is buying the cave of Machpelah and he says to Ephron, for whom he wants to buy it, Ach, im ata lushma enu. But if you would only listen to me, Natati Kesef Hasadeh, I've given the money for the field. Says Rashi there in Bereshit Kaf Gimel, Pasuk Yud Gimel, Ach, im ata lushma enu, ata omer li lishmoa lacha, velikach bechinam. You have said, Abraham, this is Rashi filling out Abraham's words. Abraham says to Ephron, you have said to me that I should listen to you and I should take it for free, because Ephron was offering it for free. I don't want to. And then comes the words that are in the Pasuk. If only, but if only you would listen to me. So again, Rashi is doing a similar task there in, in the story of Maratamach Pela. If Abraham's words start with an ach, there must be something before that. And Rashi spells out what that is. So back to our case, Lavan starts with the word but, and he says, I don't have to do anything for you because you've got no money, linking to the previous Pasuk, but I will look after you for a limited period for one month, explaining the end of Pasuk Yudalad. That's why he stayed with him for a month. But he also sets us up for the next Pasuk, where we see that Yaakov is already working for Lavan, so Rashi explains that even in this month of hospitality, Lavan, Yaakov was working in order to make us understand what comes next. One more question. Why a month? Where does a month come from? So the Midrash actually says that Lavan has in mind a halacha, that after a month one is considered a resident. Before a month, or sorry, up to a month, one is considered a guest. And this actually applies in certain halachic things about when you become part of a city and liable to contribute to the cost of the city, to the communal costs, it's after a month. Because after a month, one has become a settled person in the city. 
So it makes sense that perhaps Laban, um, perhaps a little bit uh, um, anachronistically, was aware of this halacha and said, for a month you'll be a guest, so I will be a host, but after a month, then it'll be time for you to do some work. And that's what happens. That's where we get to the next verse. So we've already rehearsed this one. Now we're going to look at it in more detail. So Rashi has told us this is a month later. So hachi means, well, let's go straight to Rashi. Rashi says loshan teima. It's an expression of wonder. Or in other words, it's a question. It's an interrogative. Are you not my brother? Vadatani, and Rashi's going to talk about the tense of that word, but I might as well say straight away, it means you have been serving me. You've been working for me. Chinam for free. Hagida li, tell me ma mas kur techa. What are your wages? So again, by the way, Rashi and the Torah, uh, as highlighted by Rashi, are telling us how greedy Lavan is and how he exploits Yaakov. And that, by the way, is the theme that comes through this whole long section um, of the narrative that Yaakov feels very, very exploited by Lavan. That's in the Chumash. And so Rashi is pointing out a little bit of the backstory how Lavan is exploiting Yaakov from the very beginning. Okay, first point of Rashi is on the words hachi achi ata. So I've already said the first two words are lashon tema. It's an expression of wonder, literally, or question. In other words, it's an interrogative. And Rashi spells out what the question is. And should it be that because you are my brother, you should work for me for free? Question mark. By the way, it's love and sounding nice there. Another theme that comes through the Chumash, and especially in Rashi, is how deceitful Lavan is. That while he's exploiting Yaakov, and while he's doing pretty terrible things to Yaakov, as we will see, he's got all the way, he's got plausible deniability, as we would say today. That his words enable him to say, no, it wasn't me, over and over again. So Rashi helps, uh, highlights this as well. That in this case, it sounds like Lavan's being really, really generous. Is it because you are my brother, you should serve me for free? No, that wouldn't be fair. I should pay you. Tell me what your wages are. Now, but there's something else that Rashi's done in a more technical nature. Having said that hachi is a question, we might wonder what is being questioned. The alternative to Rashi's explanation, in other words, the wrong one, which Rashi wants to push away, is you might wonder Hachi achi ata means, are you my brother? Are you my brother? And Rashi wants to make clear that that's not the question. That's not what the hachi is introducing as an interrogative. But rather, because you are my brother, that's stated, that's a fact. Should you um, work for me for free? Now, why doesn't it mean, are you my brother? Two points there. Number one, it's already been established that Yaakov has told Laban exactly who Yaakov is. He's not actually his brother, but he's referred to as his brother. He describes himself to Rachel when they met as his father's brother. So you could say that Lavan couldn't be asking, are you my brother? Because the answer is no. But that's unlikely because we've already established that the word ach can mean relative. It can mean nephew as well as brother. Um, 
So then the reason it doesn't mean are you my brother, i.e. relative, is because that's already well established that he is and that's not in doubt. So the question of the Hachi is, should you work for me for free? That's how Rashi explains it. Now, then Rashi gives us a little bit of grammar on the words va'avadtani. Now, va'avadtani consists of two parts, a vav and the word avadtani. And Rashi says as follows, va'avadtani kamo v'ta'avdeni, meaning it's like you will serve me. Should you serve me for free in the future? And the vav, uh, well, sorry, continues Rashi. So it should be understood as a future tense. V'chein kol teva shehi lashon avar, every verb that is in the past tense, hosif vav barosho, you put a vav at the front of it, v'hi hofechet ha-teva lahaba, and it turns the verb into the future tense. So let's just get this basic idea. We might be familiar with the vav conversive, or in Hebrew, the vav ha-hipuch, the vav that creates a conversion, that turns something around. So, ta'avdani, sorry, avadtani, avadtani is in the past. You have served me. Rashi makes clear, that doesn't make sense. Lavan is not saying, is it right that you have served me for free? But rather, it should be understood as a future. It means like, ta'avdani, as Rashi says, you will serve me. So Lavan is saying, from now on, should you be serving me for free? You have served me for free, and Lavan is not questioning that. I've just realized, actually, there's a point to this grammatical point of Rashi. I've just realized that had you read it as, you, should you have served me for free, it sounds like Lavan will be paying back the wages of the first month. But Lavan's got no intention of doing that, because that fits in with our picture of Lavan. Lavan doesn't pay anything back. Lavan is saying, from now on, I'm prepared to give you some payment in the future. And then Rashi says, the reason that Avadatani is written in the past, but it means a future, is because it's got a Vav at the front. And the Vav is the Vav HaHipuch that swaps from past to future or from future to past. Just so happens that in my ongoing studies of Hebrew grammar, which I'm trying to work through, I just came to a chapter on the Vav conversive. And Professor Weingreen says, no, 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 don't think that it's just some magic Vav that switches from past to future and future to past. That would be very strange, he says. He actually, he calls it the Vav consecutive. And he says it comes from merging different proto-Semitic languages into Hebrew. And Arcadian and Aramaic in particular, they had different verb forms and they both merged into Hebrew. So it's not that the Vav magically swaps one verb in one tense into another, but they're just two different sources um, sort of uh, milling around together. Um, I don't know if that's 100% kosher, and I don't fully understand any more than I've just tried to say to you. But I just feel I should mention, since Rashi's talking about the Vav conversive, there are other views amongst the grammarians that's not quite what's going on here. Now, um, so we're probably quite familiar with that term. And they're familiar with the idea that in classical Hebrew, a vav can switch from past to future and future to past. Um, the question is, why does Rashi mention it here? We're well into the 29th chapter of Bereshit. I haven't counted how many instances of the vav conversive have we seen up till now. 
but there are many, many, many. So why does Rashi mention it here? I'm not entirely sure of the answer, but I would suggest the following, that Rashi is keen, um, first of all, maybe what I said a moment ago is perhaps part of the story here, but it's important to get a handle on Lavan, that Lavan is not saying it's wrong that you have worked for me in the past, but rather you are going to work for me in the future, and I don't want you to work for free in the future. So it really does um, make a crucial difference to the story. But it's also the case that without Rashi, you might have thought this is a different type of Vav. You might have thought it's the Vav that is conjunctive, or in Hebrew, the Vav HaChibur. In other words, the Vav that means and, as it most often does. And you might have just read it as Hachi Achi Ata V'Avadatani Chinam. Behold, you are my brother, or are you my brother, and you have been working for me for free. In other words, the Vav you could read differently as not a Vav conversive, but a Vav conjunctive. It's worth pointing out that the Vav conversive and the Vav conjunctive, when you go from a past tense and you make it into a future tense, are identical. They would have the same vowels, depending on what is the initial letter. The initial letter of Adatani is an ayin, which is a guttural, which is why the Vav has a patach, but I don't want to get too much into that unless grammar is really your thing. Um, when, if it were a verb in the future tense turned into the past tense, then it wouldn't necessarily, the Vav wouldn't necessarily be identical to a Vav as in a conjunction. But when it goes from the past tense to the future tense, it is, and therefore it's possible to mistakenly read it as a Vav as a conjunction, meaning and, and not the Vav that swaps the tenses. So maybe Rashi is particularly keen at this point to rule out that it's a Vav conjunctive and it doesn't just mean and, but it actually changes the verb from the past tense of Aratani to the future tense, uh, the Ta'avdeini. Okay, so... Can I, can I uh, ask? Yes, please. Um, you mentioned the question, why does he mention it here of all places? Do you happen to know if he mentions it again? Or is this the only time he explains the concept? Um, I don't recall him mentioning it elsewhere. That, that is certainly no guarantee. I'm sorry, I'm not... Uh, I don't have every single rush at my fingertips. Sure. Um, I don't think he's mentioned it before. We've all been learning together for the last 29 chapters, so maybe somebody else will remember. But I don't think he's mentioned it before. And I don't recall him mentioning it again afterwards. It is, it is interesting because, you know, it's such a common, such a common thing, but it really stands out. Why does he do it in chapter 29, verse 14 and not before? Verse 15, I'm sorry. Okay, so the question... Um, is what are going to be the wages that Yaakov is going to ask for. So in order to set us up for that, we need just a tiny bit of family background about Lavan's children. So Pasuk Tet Zayin says, Ula Lavan Shtevanot, and Lavan had two daughters, Shem Hagadola Leah, the name of the older one was Leah, Vashem Hakatana Rachel. And the name of the younger one was Rachel. Now, by the way, um, it's not clear if Lavan had only two daughters or these two particular daughters are relevant. Um, we might come to refer back to that, those possibilities later. Uh, there is a Midrash that says they were twins, uh, which would explain that maybe he had other daughters. But um, Rachel and Leah were the two daughters being referred to and one's older and one's younger because that's the question you always ask with twins. Who's the older one? Who's the younger one? Um, it's also the case that Rashi says later on that Bilha and Zilpah were also Lavan's children, daughters, 
but not through his wife, but through a concubine. Um, that also might be relevant later in our Shia today as well. So there's no Rashi on that Pasuk. And the next Rashi, sorry, the next Pasuk, Yud Zion, talks about these two uh, daughters. And it says like this, the Eine Leia Rakot, and the eyes of Leia were soft or weak. Uh, as we'll see, that's something a little bit detrimental. For Rachel, Haita Yafat To'ar V'yafat Mare. Rachel was, well, I'll leave it untranslated because Rashi will help with this, but it's Yafat To'ar, which is something nice, and Yafat Mare, which is something also nice. We'll see to Rashi. Rashi will explain the difference between those two. So, first of all, Rashi's got something to say about Rakot. Why were Leah's eyes Rakot? And um, I think the reason, or it seems to me, the reason that Rashi has to say something is that <coughs> Rakot is a negative thing to say. Uh, and it's not nice to say for no particular reason that Leah's eyes were Rakot. Um, number one, we don't need to say something about her appearance at all if it's not relevant. Number two, um, it would be a shame to say something negative about her appearance. And number three, she is Leah Imenu. She always gets a little bit of a bad press because she's in Rachel's shadow, but she is Leah Imenu. She's the mother of half of the Shvatim, um, and she's definitely one of the matriarchs and a tzedekes, and it would be odd for the Torah to be saying something negative about her. And therefore, Rashi has to explain what the Torah is really saying. It's not passing judgment on the appearance of her eyes. It's telling us some of, the, um, of what was going on in Leah's life. And Rashi says like this on the word Rakot, Shahita Savura La Alot Shal She thought that she was literally going to go up in the lot of Asaf. In other words, she'd end up married to Asaf. Uvocha and she cried. Shahayu Hakol Omrim, because everyone would say, Shnei Vanim Lirivka Ushtei Vanot Lilavan. Rivka's got two sons. And Lavan, who's her brother, has got two daughters. Hagadola Lagadol, the Hakatan Alakatan. The older one will go to the older one, i.e. Leah will go to Esau, and the younger one will go to the younger one, i.e. Rachel will go to Yaakov. Okay, there's obviously no problem with marrying first cousins, because that seemed to be the presumption. Um, and since the brother and sister, Lavan and Rivka, have both got children and if it has so if we follow the idea that Rachel and Leah were twins it's even better twins and twins you match off the older ones with the older ones the younger ones and the younger ones it's the ultimate sort of please God by you although Leah doesn't see it that way the Gemara has a slightly more expanded version and she would go and sit at the Parashat Rachim at the crossroads and talk to people and people would say to her oh yo yo um isn't it well I, I, I'm adding isn't it cute two sons two daughters you're obviously going to be Esau's wife the Marsha explains a little bit further that we would have had a precedent and Rachel and Leah would have been aware of a precedent. Avraham wanted to find a wife for Yitzchak and Avraham was particular, but it should come from Avraham's own family, from the Mesopotamian branch of the family. He sent Eliezer to Lavan's own house when Betuel was, was around. Um, in order to say that Yitzchak is going to marry somebody, Dafka of his cousins. So it might make sense, says the Masha, that Yitzchak would do the same with his own sons. For both of his sons, Yaakov and Esau, 
he would go to Aram Naharayim to find a wife, and lo and behold, there were two girls, Rachel and Leah. So Leah had reason to think that she was going to end up with Esau, and she cried. So we've done two things. We've explained why her eyes were soft, because we, otherwise we don't know what that extraneous detail is doing. And number two, we've confirmed something about the character of Leah, that she is a Sadekes and she doesn't want to have anything to do with a Russia like Esau. Um, by the way, it also sort of helps us understand how sad was Leah's life. I and mean, we all know what's going to happen, so I apologize for the spoiler. But she's going to end up married to the husband who doesn't love her because of her own father's machinations. So she was afraid and she felt it was realistic that she was going to end up as Esau's wife. She does much better than that. She ends up as Yaakov's wife, but she never gets Yaakov's love like Rachel does. It's absolutely tragic. Okay, the next two Rashis are to tell us about um, these two phrases, Yafat To'ar v'yafat Mareh. Now, they're both referring to Rachel. They can't mean the same thing, because otherwise that would be unnecessary duplication. So they must mean two different things. So what are the two different things? Uh, a lot of Mephorshim, by the way, grapple with this and come up with different answers. Rashi's answer is as follows. Uh, on the word To'ar, who Surat HaParatsuf, it is the form, or if you like, the shape of the face. And how do I know that Ta'ar is the form, the shape? Lashan yit'arehu va'seret. A pasuk in Yeshayahu, Perak mem dalad pasuk yud gimel. The pasuk reads, Harash itzim natak kav, a carpenter or a craftsman in wood, natak kav, measures with a line, yit'arehu va'seret and marks out a shape with a sered, which is like a stylus. And yit'arehu means marks out a shape. So ta'ar in our Pasuk means a shape, means the form, like literally sort of the outline. Now, by the way, there is a problem um, with the next words, the Rashi. Uh, and the solution is there's a mistake. Because um, Rashi's quoted um, the early first well, almost the first part of the Pasuk in Yeshayahu. And then he says, Kumpas Balaz, that the word Sered is translated in French as compass. And we know what a compass is, like, you know, the pointy thing that you draw circles with. The problem is, if you look at Rashi on the Pasuk in Yeshayahu, the word compass refers to something else. So if you happen to have a Yeshayahu, Perak Mem Dalad Pasuk Yud Gimel handy, it's useful. Um, I, I'm going to spend a few moments explaining this. It's, it's a minor detail, but it just happens to be interesting. But there is an error that has crept into our Rashi. Because the Pasuk there says, uh, first of all, after the introduction, Harash Eitzim Natakav, a carpenter has drawn a line, measured with a line. And then there's two um, sections, both with the same verb. Yitarehu Vasered, Yaasehu B'Miktsa'ot, don't worry about that bit. And then Ubamachuga Yitarehu. Uh, the same Yitarehu appears a second time. So the first time it's Yitarehu Vasered. And the second time is Ubamachuga Yitarehu. And a Machuga Rashi translates as a compass uh, in French. So a Sered is not a compass. A Sered is a dalor. Um, in, uh, Rashi quotes a French word meaning a dalor, 
Um, and I didn't know this until this afternoon, but the law is a French word, but if you look it up on Wikipedia, you find it's an English word meaning, borrowed straight from the French, meaning a certain type of axe, um, which was used in the Middle Ages. So the point is this, there are two implements referred to in the Pasuk, a sered and a machuga. In our Rashi, he's explained that sered is a compass in French. But in Rashi, on the Pasuk, in Shayahu, a sered is not a compass. It's a delor, and a mechuga is a compass. So something's gone wrong. So either the printer or the scribe, as at some stage quoted, instead of the first part of the Pasuk, it, they, they, sorry, they quoted the first part of the Yeshayahu Pasuk, and they referred to sered, and they put it in our Rashi. But Rashi really actually referred to the second part of the mechuga, or actually it's probably more likely but there was no quote from the Pasuk at all. And a subsequent scribe put that in in order to help us understand the Rashi. And he put in the wrong quote. He put in the wrong part of the Pasuk. Anyway, um, it's, it's not uh, consequential. It's just interesting that there has, uh, error has crept in. There's no way to explain it without saying there's an error because of the contrast between Rashi here and Rashi in Yeshayahu. It's a purely technical point. It doesn't add to the meaning or subtract from the meaning. But uh, in the interests of... Uh, uh, complete picture, I thought I would share that discovery with you. Okay, so Ta'ar is Surat HaParatsuf, which is the shape of the face. And Marer, who Ziv Kalaster. Marer, says Rashi, is the uh, shining of the Kalaster, which it's, uh, I found different translations for that, but I, I'm going with complexion. So it's like what a complexion is. So um, we end up with um, to use Rashi's words, Ta'ar is Surat HaParatsuf and Mare is Ziv Kalaster, which we translate as Surat HaParatsuf is the shape of the face and Mare is the luster, perhaps better, of the complexion. Either way, she looked nice. And then we're told in Pasuk Yudchet, Ve'ye'ehav Ya'akov et Rachel. Ya'akov loved Rachel. Ve'yomer, and he said, so now we're going back to answering the question that Lavan asked, what are your wages? So Yaakov says, Evadcha, I will serve you Sheva Shanim, seven years, Barachel Bitcha Hakatana. For Rachel, your daughter, the younger one. So the second Rashi that we're going to do will be why Yaakov has to say, Rachel Bitcha Hakatana which is a famous idea, so famous that that phrase has become an idiom for spelling things out very specifically. But the first thing Rashi has to say is, why does Yaakov say, I will serve you for seven years? Where does he get that idea from? So that's two questions, really. Number one, why such a time? Why seven? Number two, um, Rivka sent Yaakov away, and she said, Stay yamim achadim, a few days, a few days until your brother Esau has calmed down. So Yaakov says, okay, I'm going for a few days. And yet now he commits himself to a seven years. By the way, to make the question slightly even harder, is Yaakov's actually already been away, according to Rashi, for 14 years. Between leaving Beersheba and arriving in Haran, Rashi said that Yaakov went to Yeshiva for 14 years. So he's already been away, perhaps more than what you might think is Yomim Achadim, 
So why does he say, I'll now stay for another seven years? So Rashi says as follows. On the words, E'evadcha sheva shanim, Heim yamim achadim sha'amru lo imo. They are the yamim achadim, the few days. Perhaps we shouldn't translate them as few days anymore. We'll get to that in a minute. They are the yamim achadim that his mother said to him. Where she said, Vayashavta imo yamim achadim. You will stay with him, with Lavan, for yamim achadim. And then he says, Vateda shekenhu. And you should know, Rashi says, you, the reader, should know that this is so. Shaharei Kativ, because it writes um, two Pesukim later in Pasuk uh, uh, Kaf. Yep. Two Pesukim later, it writes, Vayehi be'enav kayimim achadim. The seven years which he worked for Rachel were in his eyes like yomim achadim. So actually we talked about this when Rivka uttered those words and we learned that Pasuk at the end of Toledot. So we're revisiting it as far as we're concerned. But what Rashi says is, you want to know how his mother said Yomim Achadim, but he stayed for seven years? Simple. They're the same thing. The Yomim Achadim is the seven years. That explains why Yaakov said, I'll stay for seven years. Because that's precisely what his mother told him to do. And then it also explains, or rather it's proved by Posit Kaf, that says the seven years were like Yomim Achadim. Now, this still actually leaves a lot of questions unanswered. First of all, Rivka said Yomim Achadim, a few days. Now, seven years is lots of days. It's 22,100 days, more, 2,200. It's a lot of days. How can that be considered a few days? So we have to say that Yaakov understood that Rivka was speaking not literally. Rivka's words needed a Rashi, basically, because Esau was not going to calm down in a few days. Esau was very, very cross. And therefore, when she says it'll take a few days, that doesn't mean literally a few days. Number two, the word Yamim does sometimes in the Chumash mean not literally days, but years. Um, um, I'm just thinking, that's a year of days, so that doesn't quite work. But there are cases, and I'm sorry, I don't have one precisely to mind, where Yamim can be understood as years. Um, so we can also say that once Yaakov understood that it was not literally a few days, it's going to be a block of time, then what is a block of time? Well, seven years constitute a block of time. Um, very much in Yanadioma, we have just started the Shemitah year of Tovshin Pei Bet. So we are familiar, hopefully we're learning the halachas of Shemitah, we are familiar with a seven-year cycle. Seven is a number that often um, creates a unit of time, obviously seven days of the week. But if it's going to be longer than a few days, perhaps Yaakov is entitled to think the next unit of time that makes sense is seven years. Um, now, if we say that the Yomim Achadim are the seven years, then they, well, uh, if you don't mind, look at Pasuk Kaf now, where it says, V'ya'avod Yaakov barachel shevashanim, kayomim achadim ba'ahavato ota. We actually have a problem with that verse. If we're saying Yomim Achadim is exactly the same as the seven years, 
then it doesn't make sense to say and they were like seven years because he loved her so much because he loved her so much the seven years seem to be less than seven years they seem to be but if seven years are that doesn't make sense so we would have to read that verse as saying he worked for Rachel why did he work for her? In brackets, how long he worked, seven years, which is the same as Yom Machadim. But what he was really doing, it, the Pasuk is telling us he worked for her because he loved her. Ba'avato ota. So Ba'avato ota, because of his love for her, doesn't explain why the seven years looked like a few days, because they were the same thing, but rather explain why he worked for her. But there's another suggestion that when she says, go for Yom Machadim, she's particularly saying, go and experience Galut. Go and, ex- and, and endure some suffering as a kapara, as an atonement for what you did to Asaph. Never mind the fact that she told him to do it to Asaph. The fact is he did it to Asaph. And therefore she's saying, you need to go away. You need to go to Lovin's house, which is going to be pretty rotten, actually. You need to have a kapara. Um, and then you will uh, be able to come back. In which case that makes sense then we can read Pasakaf differently and perhaps more naturally as because of his love for her, the seven years felt very difficult because he's waiting and waiting to marry her and he's got his potential father-in-law being horrible to him. So those seven years really felt like Yomim Achadim in the sense they were really a degree of suffering and hence a degree of Kapara which his mother had said was necessary. So then we can read it and say the seven years were indeed like the Yom Machadim that his mother said he has to undergo because the seven years were pretty ghastly. Um, I'm reminded just by the way that the, as a, maybe I won't name it, but there's a particular Chumash which was a favorite in the shawls that I grew up. On this verse, on Pazak Kaf, it said that it's a beautiful expression of romantic love to say that the seven years felt like a few days because of how he loved her. I was always troubled by that, and I'm still troubled by that, because if you're in love with somebody and you're waiting to marry them, then the few days will feel like seven years, not the seven years feel like a few days. And, and given what I'm saying now, makes more sense. But the few days, um, the period of time, which was seven years, they felt like, sorry, the seven years felt like the few days which his mother had instructed that, they, that a period which would need kapara, which would need to be some degree of punishment. And the beauty of that explanation is it explains the 14 years. Because the 14 years don't come into the kapara, don't come into the suffering and the atonement. The 14 years he's sitting in yeshiva and learning, or he's standing in yeshiva and learning because he never lies down. Um, and that's not uh, difficult. On the contrary, that's the best place and the most wonderful place to be. But when he gets to Lavan's house, then the Yom Machadim kick in in the sense of the kapara, the sense of the galut, the exile, the difficulty. And those then, the seven years, do turn into the Yom Machadim, and his mother said, seven years, sorry, a few days, which is seven years, of some degree of suffering. Just to add um, that there is another idea that says Rachel, I don't know where we get this from, we perhaps we get it by working backwards, Rachel was five years old at the time. So he plucks the number seven out of the, or seems to pluck the number seven out of the air, so that she will be 12 years old. Now, I know 12 years old for us today seems very, very, very young to get married. 
It is legal in some um, even developed countries, by the way. But we know in biblical times that was the norm when a woman hit puberty and hit childbearing year, uh, age. That was a time for her to get married. So Yaakov says she's now five. I will wait till she's 12, which makes seven years. OK, then Yaakov says, I want to I work seven years for Rachel Bitcha Hakatana. Rachel, your daughter, the younger one. So here Rashi states his question, so I don't need to. I will leave it to, leave it to Rashi. Kol hasimanim halalu lama. All these signs, why? Why Rachel bitcha hakatana? Why doesn't he just say Rachel? That's the question. And Rashi answers it in the following way. Lafi shahu yadea bo shahu ramai. He knew because he knew that he was a trickster. Yaakov knew that Lavan was a trickster. Amar lo, he said to him, Yaakov said to Lavan, So when he said it says to him, I think it means either this was the first thing he said, or this is what would have happened had he just said Rachel. So if I just say Rachel, Maybe you will say, ah, here's the Rachel you're going to marry. It's a different Rachel. I'll get a Rachel from the market and she will be the one that you'll marry, not the one you really want to marry. So, Talmud Lama Bitcha. So that's why the Torah has to say, your daughter. So Yaakov says Rachel, but he says your daughter Rachel to make sure it's not just some other Rachel from the market. However, that's not enough. The Shema Toma Achalif Lelea, Shema, Maybe you will swap the names and you will call Leah by the name Rachel. So if you do that, and if, if, if um, Yaakov has only at this point said Rachel Bitcha, then he can take a different daughter, Ailea, call her Rachel, and she is Rachel, your daughter. So in order to avoid that, Tamud Lamar Hakatana. The Torah says the younger one as well. So we have Rachel, Bitcha Hakatana. Rachel, because it's Rachel he wants to marry. Bitcha, to make sure it's the Rachel who is his daughter and not another Rachel. And Hakatana, to make sure he doesn't swap the name of Leah for Rachel, but he has to give him the younger daughter. The Afal Pikain, Loha'il, and Rashi adds, even so, it didn't work. Shahare Rimahu, because he tricked him. As we know, Lavan did manage to swap Rachel for Leah, as we will see. Now, a lot of people ask, if you look at this logic carefully, why doesn't he just say, Bitcha Hakatana, your younger daughter? Why doesn't he just say your younger daughter? That actually will cover all bases. Because he's only got one younger daughter, and that's Rachel. So if he says your daughter, I nobody else from the market and the younger one he's narrowed it down precisely so a lot of Mephoshim ask if we go through this Rashi why didn't Yaakov just say Bitcha Hakatana and now we go back to what I deliberately sort of mentioned before um, about maybe there were other daughters of Lavan maybe when it said Lavan had two daughters it's referring to the two daughters in question who come into our story and especially if they were twins, so that's why it mentions he had two daughters, 
but maybe he had others at home as well. And that being the case, that's why it wouldn't have been sufficient to say Bitcha HaKatana, because then Laban could have produced another daughter who's even younger than Rachel. Or you could say that at that point, Laban only had two daughters, but there's always a possibility within the seven years he'll have another one. So by the time comes seven years later, Bitcha HaKatana could have been used to refer to another daughter recently born, and that would be um, obviously not what Yaakov wants. So for those reasons, and there are others given as well, Bitcha HaKatana is not sufficient. It has to be Rochel Bitcha HaKatana. Um, by the way, when we said at the, uh, the end of the Rashi, um, Rashi adds, even, um, even despite all these efforts, it didn't work because Yaakov still tricked him. It's not 100% clear what is the trickery going, it referred to there. The obvious answer is uh, Laban tricked him by swapping Rachel for Leah. It could be, and we won't get to it this week, but probably next week, Lavan tricked Yaakov as well by saying, in typical fashion, I'm not the guilty one. As we will see, he says, it's the custom here to marry off the older before the younger. In other words, it's not up to me. I was just following peer pressure. I was just fitting in with the society around me. A very common excuse for doing the wrong thing, by the way. So when it says, uh, Rimahu, he tricked him, uh, it is possible that Rashi is referring to the trickery of saying that it wasn't love and saying it's not my fault it's the fault of the people around me when of course it was actually <coughs> very much love fault okay pasuk kaf uh, we've met already this evening but let's look at it again uh, no sorry pasuk yotet pasuk yotet now Lavan said in response to this request, by the way, let's just remember, the request is, I will work for you for seven years and you will give me Rachel at the end of it. Lavan's response is, It is better to give her to you than to give her to someone else. Stay with me. There's no Rashi, but uh, I must share a comment. Um, I always, I love this verse because this is such a wonderful example of Lavan's stealth. What does Lavan not say in that verse? Anyone? I invite you to uh, demute yourself. Sarah? Yes. You exactly. He does not say yes, but it sounds like he says yes. It's so clever. Lavan, and Yaakov falls for it. Yaakov says, I'll work for seven years for Rachel. And he says, it's better I give it to you than to anybody else. Stay with me. It sounds like he's signing over dotted line, but he isn't. It's so clever. And, 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 and I'm sure I'm not reading into this. I'm sure this is deliberate. The Torah is telling us this is the nature of Laban, that he covers his tracks. He does terrible things and claims that he's not. So he can always say, I never said I would give her to you. Now, that, as it happens, isn't what he says, but it's a fallback position. He never says, I agree to the deal. OK, Pasuk Kaf that we have seen before. Still no Rashi, but we'll read it again. Yaakov worked for Rachel for seven years. And they were in his eyes like few days. 
In other words, says Rashi, the few days which we've been talking about and which Rivka talked about, ba'ahavato ota, in his love for her. And we've already said there's two ways of reading that. Then, Posikav Allah. So the seven years went in a flash. Vayoma Yaakov el Lavan. Yaakov said to Lavan, Hava et ishti, bring my wife, ki malu yamai, because I have filled my days, va'avoa elaha, and I may come into her. And that last two words sounds like what it sounds like. And Rashi says, makes the point, but this is a very, very strange way to speak. And we will explain that uh, when we get there in the Rashi. So Rashi says on the words, Malu Yamai, fulfill my days. Sorry, I have, my days are filled. What are the days that's referred to? Sha'amra li imi, that my mother said to me. The seven So yet again, Rashi relates the seven years to be the Yomimachadim, to be the time that Rivka said Yaakov should stay away. Ramban says, Mapitom, and Ramban points out that the Onkelos also says, sort of to the effect of Mapitom. Ramban says, of course Yaakov means, I've worked for seven years. Um, I, as we agreed, it's the end of the seven years, nothing to do with Rivka's words. So why does Rashi say that we're not talking about the obvious, namely, I finish my seven years of contracted labor, but rather, I finished the Yomim Achadim that my mother said to me. So let's go on a little bit with Rashi. Um, he, uh, well, no, no, Rashi's going to bring a second answer. So we can, uh, we, we can answer the first one. So the first one, um, I saw this in the, uh, the Muscular David, uh, and when you see it, it's so obvious. He said, Yaakov wouldn't need to say to Lavan, I finished my seven years, because that would be well known. Lavan's also got a calendar. Lavan is well aware what day it is and what date it is. So Lavan will know that the seven years of work are finished. So if Yaakov has to say additional information, namely Malu Yamai, he must be giving some extra information which Lavan is not aware of. And Lavan would be aware that he's finished his seven years, but he wouldn't be aware that those are the Yamim Achadim that, the, that Rivka had said. And that is why, says the muscular David, that um, Yaakov, uh, that Rashi says that it's not the seven years of work, but it's rather the Yomim Achadim that Rivka said. And then Rashi says something else. For old, furthermore, Malu Yamai, my days are filled. Shaharei Ani Ben Pei Dalad, I am 84 years old. Shana, years. Ve'ematai A'amid Yudbet Shvatim. And when am I going to raise, or literally establish, 12 tribes? Uh, let's just pause for a minute. Two things to note. Number one, or three things. Yes, according to Rashi's calculations, Yaakov is 84. And by the way, these calculations are very sound. They're not unique to Rashi. As we saw at the very end of Toldot, if you work backwards from when uh, Paro meets Yaakov, uh, after the dreams, after the seven years of famine and two years of plenty, sorry, other way around, seven years of plenty, two years of famine, Yaakov meets Paro, and Paro says to him, how old are you? And he says, I am 130. And we also know that at the same time, uh, Yosef was 39. So we know that Yaakov, uh, sorry, Yosef was born when Yaakov was 91. 
which was at the end of the second seven years, which makes it works out that he is 84 now. Um, so Yaakov is an old man. Now, I know in biblical times, people lived quite a long time. I, I've pointed out, well, I hinted that Lavan must be very old. He must be well over 100 at this point, which makes it interesting if he's got a five-year-old daughter. But anyway, Yaakov says to Lavan, I am 84, and when am I going to establish 12 tribes? Yaakov knows he has a mission. He knows it's through Ruach HaKodesh. That's the only explanation of the number 12. And we've already said, and Yaakov's already said, and Rashi's already said, that Yaakov's aim is to establish a Jewish family. Unlike Abraham, unlike Yitzchak, both of whom had children who didn't stay on the derech, Yaakov's task is to take the teaching of Abraham, take the teaching of Yitzchak, and create something new, a Jewish family. And it's going to have 12 tribes, and he knows that. And so it's going to take time, and he's 84. So he's saying, no, I need to start producing or reproducing. So by the way, this why does Rashi need this second explanation? Because of the Yud at the end of Yamai. My days are fulfilled. Not the days, but my days. There's something relevant to me, to my stage of life. My days are fulfilled means I'm 84. My days. So this second explanation of Rashi explains the Yud at the end of Yamai. Now, we can now finish the Rashi, which will also take us to the end of the Shia for tonight. That's why Yaakov says, I will go in unto her. In other words, I will have relations with her. Says Rashi, the lowest of the low doesn't speak like this. How can you possibly imagine somebody saying to their father-in-law, it's time for me to get married because I want to have relations with her. It, it just wouldn't happen. But to have children, he said this. Yaakov is different from most of us. Yaakov sees relations with his wife as for the sake of having children, not to the exclusion of all other purposes. This isn't time to talk about the role of sex within marriage, but it's not saying that that's the only purpose. But Yaakov is absolutely focused on that purpose. Maybe not to the exclusion of anything else, but he is absolutely focused on that purpose. So he's saying to Lavan, I have a mission. The mission is to establish a Jewish family, 12 sons, and therefore I need to reproduce with my wife. And that's why, as Rashi says, Yaakov uses these words for Avoa Eleha, which for him is not something Kausha Bakalim, the lightest of the light, the lowest of the low, the in English perhaps the grossest of the gross. It's not gross. On the contrary, it expresses Yaakov's mission. It's a funny thing to say from our point of view, but from Yaakov's point of view, who saw his task and who saw the idea of having relations with his wife in a way different from, I would suggest, the way most of us uh, see this matter. For Yaakov, it was appropriate. It wasn't for the culture of a Kalim. It was indeed for Yaakov Avinu because he was so focused on having children and raising a Jewish family. And I think that would be an appropriate place to pause for tonight. Um, I thank you as usual for your attention and for learning together. Uh, and I wish everyone a Gemar Chatima Tova. And we will meet in Yitz Hashem next week, just before Sukkot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.